Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Hallelujah. So grateful for all of you today for being here. Amen. And I want to uh, preach a message. If you will, open up your Bible with me to the book of Luke. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 21, if you'll join me there for a few moments. Luke chapter 21. The world has changed a lot in the last week. There are things happening in the world that have a lot to do with the the kingdom of God. And it is important for us not to put our heads in the sand and uh, and. Listen, we're supposed to be people of prayer, but sometimes we have to do more than just prayer. Um, before, uh, before I dive in this morning, I do want to quickly announce uh, that there is a, um, a celebration of life service happening for Mr. Fred today, just a reminder of that, uh, happening um, uh, in the northern part of Virginia Beach. I have that address. That's going to be happening at 1.30 p.m., if you'd like to be a part of that, you are welcome. The family wants to welcome us to that, uh, and I don't want to forget to announce that. So if you'd like to attend, uh, again, that's going to be right after our service this morning at 1.30 p.m. Uh, if you need the address, please come and see me. be happy to give that to you. Amen. But uh, this morning, as we look at Luke chapter 21, there has been a lot of things changing. Let me see your hand if you've ever been to a 4th of July fireworks show. Always fun for good patriotic Americans to go and attend. And uh, one thing that is true of nearly every fireworks show you've ever been a part of, there's always thrilling music and patriotic themes happening. And uh, they have these well-timed explosives that uh, go up into the air and, and sometimes even synchronized with the music to, to blow up and to, uh, to produce these beautiful displays. And usually... In a fireworks show, you've got about 15 to 20 minutes uh, where they're showing different lights and different uh, fireworks, and there's the green ones, and there's the, the sparkly ones that come down. Those are my favorite ones, the sparkly ones, and then they have some that are in shapes these days. They can make Mickey Mouse and uh, you know, all these different things. And so uh, you have a, a kind of like the normal part of the show, but then after that, is the part that everybody's there to actually see, which is the grand finale, right? And, uh, and what happens is, in the last three to five minutes of the show, is they take the same number of fireworks that they have launched in the first 20 minutes, and they blow them all off in about two minutes. And they call this the grand finale, and it's uh, always a grand spectacle as the light, the, the fireworks light up the sky and the sound begins to attack your eardrums, and you feel the shockwaves of explosions if you're close enough. The whole show was leading up to this final display. And the mark of the grand finale, 
is that they are launched with greater intensity and greater frequency. The whole show is leading up to the end. Did anybody get what I'm preaching about this morning? We are living, beloved, in the last days. And the things that we see happening around us is exactly like a fireworks show spread out through the span of history. What we are seeing in our world as, uh, as not only the attacks in the Middle East, but we see the attacks of morality. We see wars and rumors of wars. We see pestilence. We see plagues. We see uh, uh, mass uh, starvation in different places of the earth. We see natural disasters. We see signs in the sky. Just this week, there was a, uh, there was a total eclipse. Uh, but more than that, these things are happening with greater intensity and with greater frequency. And the question is, what is it leading up to? And I hope this morning that your heart would be open to what Jesus has to say about what it is leading to. Luke chapter 21 I want to read a few verses here, and we're going to go through uh, a few other verses in this chapter. So you follow along with me. Keep your Bible open in Luke chapter 21. But verse 34 says these words, Watch out! Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day, speaking of the day when Jesus returns, that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. So keep alert at all times. How many times? At all times. And pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, we do come by the precious blood of Jesus. I pray, God. This morning, as we turn our hearts to Your Word, God, that You would fill us once again with an urgency for the hour. Urgency, God, in this time that we have. God, that our time is short. Lord, that the clock is coming down to the end. And God, I'm praying that the eyes of Your people would be open to it. God, that we would not be found um, asleep, God, at the wheel. That we would not be found wasting our time, God, with meaningless pursuits. Oh, but God, that our eyes would be fixed upon You and that we would stay close to Your will for our life. We give You glory in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Amen. It's a message I've titled, Watch Out. We are living in the last days. Now you say, preacher, we've been hearing that our whole lives. Well, if it's true 50 years ago, how much more true is it today? If it's true 500 years ago, How much more true is it today? The early Christians, the people in the Bible, they thought that it was the end times too. And so you ask the question, uh, if if for 2,000 years the church has been preaching that these are the last days, isn't that just a waste of time? Oh no, it is not. There is a reason why the Bible calls us to an urgency of the hour. This is no, no one beside the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to begin with the thought of kicking out comfort. And if you'll rewind to the beginning of this chapter in Luke chapter 21, would you look at verse 5 with me? At how this discussion began. How did it come to the place where Jesus is warning His own disciples to stay alert, to stay awake and watch out for what's coming next? 
The discussion began in verse 5, where it says these words. Some of his disciples began talking about the majestic stonework of the temple and the memorial decorations on the walls. They are there in Jerusalem. They're uh, touring. Uh, they're near the, the temple of the Jews. It was a beautiful and, a, uh, and, an, and an ancient place. It had been built approximately 500 years before this time that they were looking at it. And you have to understand, in the ancient world, that is, that is a unique thing. For a structure to be so beautiful and to last so long throughout conquering armies and various things. And so they, the disciples of Jesus were there. They're not from Jerusalem. This is, they're, they're country boys. And all of a sudden they're in the city. And they're looking at this beautiful temple. They had seen it before. And this was the pride and the joy of the Jewish people. It is the center of their culture. It is the center of their religion. And so rightly they would feel very protective and proud of this grand structure in the center, in the heart of Jerusalem. And they're looking at it this day and they are impressed. They're saying, wow, man, these guys who built this temple, Solomon in all of his wisdom and in all of his wealth, and uh, the, the masons who put it together, and the artisans who carved out all, all of these beautiful decorations, and those who brought it together uh, these so many years ago, and they are impressed by the majesty and the grandeur of human achievement. Now, I want to say this morning, I am not against beauty. There are so few things in this world that we can still call beautiful. But the problem is, we can become over-impressed by the works of man. We can become idolaters of culture, of economic might, of military might. And I can tell by what it produces in us, it produces comfort. They looked at that temple and they thought to themselves, oh, it's been here for 500 years. Whew, we can sit back and we can relax. Because you know what? The temple is there. Nobody's going to touch it. Nobody's going to destroy it. And Jesus, He pops their Jewish little bubble brains when He says, the time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Jesus said that. Jesus was also Jewish. No doubt Jesus worshipped in the temple. He had a heart for the temple of God. In fact, He cleansed the temple two times in His ministry. Uh, Jesus, He was there in the temple when He was revealed as the Messiah. That all of these things, Jesus does not disrespect the temple. However, He is making sure that His disciples do not grow in their mind comfortable at the thought of the beauty and the majesty of a building, of decorations, can I tell you, it is easy to fill a church these days. All you got to do is pat people on the back, stroke their egos, and people will come flooding. Oh, we've got programs. Oh, we've got, uh, we've got the best children's church. We've got giveaways. We've got prizes. You know what? It's easy to fill a church like that. Oh, aren't you looking beautiful, church, this morning? Do you know how much the Lord loves you? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, there are preachers today that stroke the ego, and the Bible says, tickle the ears of those listeners. 
And in this way, what we are doing is nothing more than what the disciples did that day. They are saying, oh, how wonderful is what we've put together here. All of the plans and the schemes of man. The problem is that if that's all we do, then we have fallen short. You know, Jeremiah confronted false prophets in his time. Do you know what the false prophets, what their message was to the people who were living in wickedness? Their message was in Jeremiah 23, 17, The Lord says to you, you shall have peace. And everyone who walks by the dictates of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. Peace, I say, peace, tranquility. And what does that produce in the, in the hearer who's hearing that message? Ah, thank God. Peace and satisfaction. Everything's going to be okay. And can I tell you this morning, everything is going to be okay. But not in this world. If all we see is what is under the sun, and we, like the false prophets of Jeremiah's time, they say, oh, you're going to have peace, you're going to have joy, you're going to, everything's going to be okay. No evil shall come upon you. You know what Jesus had to say about that mentality? There was a church in Revelation that he confronted. Revelation 3, verse 17. You say, I'm rich. I'm wealthy. I have need of nothing. But you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says that there are churches today that say, Ah, I don't need anything. Everything's great. It's comfortable. But the reality is that we are desperately in need of God. Can I tell you this morning that that is so much of the church world today and so much of Christianity today is unfortunately uh, the disciples gazing longingly at what they have built with their own hands. The traditions, the culture, the peace, the tranquility. And do you know what the result is? We've gotten comfortable. Comfortable. And Jesus busts their bubble when He says the time is coming when all these things will be demolished. In fact, not one stone will be left on top of another. I just want you to think how they would feel in that moment. What, What kind of feeling, what would be produced in the hearts of those disciples as they heard Jesus telling them, Everything you see, boys, is going to be destroyed. (gasps) What? Not one stone? Why? Jesus, why? Can I tell you? Thank God that Jesus tells us the truth. Thank God. He didn't care if it hurt their feelings or if it perturbed their sensibilities. In fact, it almost feels like Jesus wants to throw this grenade into their mind and blow up their little comfortable idea of what life is going to be like for them. Sometimes Jesus needs to do that for us, doesn't He? He needs to shake up our idea of comfort. He needs to shake us out of our comfort and our sensibility. Because guess what? This life, and especially here in the Western world, in the United States of America, where you are living better than 99% of all humans who have ever lived before you. You know that? Amen. Amen. (laughs) I'll give you one, Connie. And this morning, I want to tell you, sometimes Jesus needs to toss a grenade of reality into our ideas of comfort. Jesus told a parable about a man who had great success and lived the American dream before we even knew what the American dream was. It's in Luke chapter 12, if you want to read it for yourself. 
It's a parable of a man who, uh, who his ground yielded plentifully. That means that he was blessed. That he got a bumper crop one year and he had more than he knew what to do with. This is like in Monopoly when you draw the card that says, Bank error in your favor. Uh, go, to, uh, go, go to the start and get your $200. And uh, man, that is hallelujah. That's a blessing. Let me kickstart a new business. And that's what this man does. He says, okay, I'm going to take what I have uh, received and I'm going to invest it in my own business. Verse 17, he said, what will I do? I don't have any room to store all of my crops. This is a great thing. This is a blessing. What will I do? So here's what I'll do. I will reinvest into my business. I'm going to pull down those barns that I currently have. I'm going to build the bigger ones so that I can be even more productive, so that I can produce a greater profit, so that I can pay even more employees. I have a productive business. I have assets. I have a future. I have a 401k. This is a story of a successful entrepreneur. And at the end of it, he says in verse 19, You have laid up for yourself many goods for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That is a picture of a joyful retirement, right? A man has done well. He's saved up. He's been responsible. Guess what he has? Financial peace. And he says, whew, man, that was a lot of work. Thank God. God gave me the ability to succeed. And he probably was a faithful tither. But do you know what Jesus said about him? You're a fool. The world would say success. The world would say you've done it right. The world would say the financial planner in you would say this is the goal that you've achieved. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. All you've done is for this world. Can I remind you this morning that God doesn't want us to be comfortable I better duck. (laughs) Let me take that back. God does want you to be comfortable, but not now. The comfort that we are seeking is not in this life. It's in the next life. I dare you. I double dog dare you to find me the hero of faith in this book that was comfortable. I, I haven't read that story. I dare you To find me a picture or a story of of anyone who was so blessed that they could eat and drink and be merry and have a golden parachute of blessing. Why does Jesus kick us out of our comfortable places? Why did He do it for His disciples? And why does He do it for us? I'll tell you why. Because when we are comfortable, we can't see clearly. When you are comfortable... You forget important things. When you are comfortable, you get, can I say the L word? Lazy. When you are comfortable, what else do we do? We isolate ourselves. We disengage from important relationships. When you are comfortable, we see through the eyes of flesh instead of the eyes of faith. Can I tell you, this is why the COVID pandemic over the last three years has been deadly to the church. You know why? Because people got comfortable. Because the government told us to stay home, take it easy, do everything online, 
And guess what happened? People got comfortable. They say that 30% of churches that closed down during the pandemic never came back because people got comfortable. There's a story of a child in the classroom, and the teacher had brought into the classroom a, uh, a cocoon with a, with a uh, caterpillar inside. And the child, uh, the child asked, could I have that? Could I take it home? The teacher says, yes. Well, you must promise that when the cocoon splits and the butterfly starts to come out, that you don't help it. Do not help the butterfly by breaking the cocoon apart. Let him do it by himself. The child promised, yes, I will not help the cocoon. A few days later, that cocoon began to vibrate and move. And it split open and what came out was a beautiful little butterfly frantically beating its wings against the cocoon, trying to get out and escape. He couldn't. It seemed to the child that he couldn't get free. And the child desperately wanted to help it. And after watching for a while, he gave in to that impulse, reached in with his tiny fingers and began tearing the cocoon apart. And as the butterfly sprang out, and as soon as it did, it fell to the ground and died. The child picked up the dead butterfly in tears and went back and showed his teacher. She said to him, you helped it, didn't you? You opened the cocoon. Yes, I did. You did not understand what you were doing. When the butterfly comes out of the cocoon, the only way it can strengthen its own wings is by beating them against the inside of that cocoon so that the muscles will grow. And when you helped it, you prevented it from getting strong enough to fly. That's why the butterfly fell and died. See, when we are uncomfortable, that's when we grow. That's when we stretch. And when we are stuck in our comfort, when we, like the disciples, are standing there going, wow, this is beautiful, Jesus has to bust their bubble. And that is exactly where Jesus wanted them to be. He said to them again, this temple that you are so impressed with in a short time is going to be completely destroyed. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And this idea is what this message is intended to do in your life. So if all the comforts of this life are not enough for me, then what should I be focused on? That's a good question. Let's begin to focus on the kingdom of God. Jesus said, uh, or excuse me, the disciples asked Jesus this question in verse 7 after He busts their bubble of comfort. Teacher, when will this happen? What sign? Say the word sign. What sign will you show us that these things are about to take place? And Jesus began to explain to them what to look for. Say the word sign again. Let's look for some signs this morning. A sign is a call to action. A sign is a call to action. Think about your body for a moment. How many of you ever woke up with a new pain in your body before? Like, oh, huh, where'd that come from? Happens a little bit more as time goes by, right? To get a little bit older. You know, you used to be able to go to sleep and wake up feeling better. And now you go to bed feeling fine. You wake up with a new pain. Oh, where'd that come from? Never felt that before. And what that is, is a sign your body is saying something to you. You uh, need some attention here. Many times we wake up with a new pain like that. You know what the first thing you do is? You make a phone call. You 
go to the doctor's office. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago when I was in Arizona, I woke up in the morning and I had a pain in my throat. I never felt it before. And there was uh, something on my vocal cord which had been, uh, which had been strained and uh, they said that there was some swelling and what was happening is, is it was so painful for me that I couldn't even swallow water. Like, that was scary a little bit. Like, so I, you know what I did? I didn't just sit there and ignore it. Huh, I guess, uh, guess I'm just going to be in pain. No, because I couldn't drink water even, I had to go to the emergency room. And, uh, you know, they immediately gave me some, some, uh, some stuff and, uh, and the swelling went down and uh, everything was better. Amen? But, uh, but what I'm saying is that, listen, if you wake up with a, with a sign that drove me to action, Jesus used this illustration in Luke 21, verse 29. He said, notice the fig tree or any other tree, he says. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. He said, this is the sign in the spring season that you're outside and all of a sudden you look up and there is a warm burst of air that has come through the last week and there on the tree are new buds and there are leaves bursting out. And you know what that is? It's a sign. It's a sign that the season is changing. And you know what? If you're a farmer to Jesus' agricultural audience, they knew exactly what He was talking about because when they saw the leaves in springtime, they would immediately say, now is the time for planting. And when I see the leaves, it's a sign that I need to get off my lazy winter butt and I need to go start planting some seeds because... The times are changing. I can't miss this opportunity. I've got to pay attention. That's a sign. A sign is meant to put us in action. How many of you have ever forgot something important? Husbands, don't forget your wife's birthday. Bad news. Don't forget the anniversary either. That's also bad news. But you know what? It's not just husbands who are forgetful. We all forget some important... Sometimes you wake up in the morning, forgot you have to go to school or to work that day, and all of a sudden you're panicked. Oh, no, i got to move. i got to get going. You know what it's like when you forgot something important, right? See, the reason is, if you forgot about something, you're not going to prepare for it. Does that make sense to anybody? If you forgot your wife's birthday then you're not going to go to Walmart the day before and pick out something nice for her because you forgot. The things that we forget, we don't prepare for. That's very simple, but it's very profound this morning because it seems like a lot of believers have forgotten that Jesus Christ could return at any moment. How do we tell that? Because we're not preparing for it. We're not ready for it. We, we've forgotten, and I think if I passed around a paper with a theological discussion of yes or no, do you believe that Jesus Christ could return at any moment, that most of you would say, yes, I believe that. And I could pass around a paper that says, do you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? And I'll, I'll be okay if you disagree with me on that, but uh, most of us might say, yes, I think that before the tribulation time occurs, that there could be a rapture of the church at any moment. Yes, I believe that. But if I look at your life, if I look at your decisions, if I look at your finances, if I look at how you read your Bible, if I look at if you're inviting someone 
to church and sharing the gospel? Do I see someone who's really preparing for the imminent return of Jesus or not? Has the thought even run through your mind? I know in the last week, with all that's happening in the Middle East, the thought has run through my mind. Jesus could come back at any time. So Jesus gave us some signs to look for, and I don't have time to go through all of them. I would encourage you to study this chapter in your own time about all the signs that Jesus laid out for us. I just want to zoom in on a couple of them if you would give me the time. I have the microphone, so I'm just going to do it. Luke chapter 21, verse 9. Jesus said, when you hear wars and insurrections, don't panic. These things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. Then he said, nation will go to war against nation. You say, yeah, but, you know, there's been war ever since there's been people. There's been war. That's true. The difference is increasing frequency and intensity. Think again about the fireworks display. It's leading up to something. Think about the difference between now and 50 years ago. Was there more or less war? There was less. Now there's more. There's people killing each other in the streets. Men's heart failing them for fear. He goes on to say, there will be great earthquakes. There will be famines. There will be plagues in many lands. There will be terrifying things. Terrifying things and miraculous signs from heaven. Yeah, there have always been terrifying. The thing is, like a woman experiencing labor pains, at first the labor pains are ten minutes apart and they're not so bad. But then they grow in intensity and in frequency. And guess what? It's leading up to something. And that's what we see in our generation church. It is growing in frequency and intensity. He goes on specifically to speak about Jerusalem. Verse 20, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, hello, and you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. i got to take a little detour and talk about Israel because Israel is God's countdown timer. 1948, just a little bit of history, was the year when Israel came back into existence after 1900 years of disbursement. Do you know that that was predicted exactly by the prophet Ezekiel? Ezekiel 36.24, where God says to His people, I will take you from among the nations. I will gather you out of all countries and I will bring you back into your own land. Woo! That's pretty specific. God said, I'll bring you back together. And uh, if you continue to read verse uh, chapter 36 and 37 of Ezekiel, that's the chapter about the dry bones, how God brings together the dry bones of a previously great army, and He builds them back up into a new great army, right? That's also pretty, uh, pretty prophetic about what's happened in Israel the last 50 years, that God has built up a powerful army in that nation. And since that day, 1948, the enemies of God and His people have sought to wipe them off the face of the map. There was a, immediately when they declared independence in 1948, there was a war. They had to survive that war just to continue. 1967, that uh, there was a, a Egypt, a surprise attack from on the day of Yom Kippur, where they tried again to wipe out the Jews from their land. And just in the last week, we have seen the greatest slaughter of Jewish people since the Holocaust. Is that important? 
Could be. We are seeing now an escalation of tension. And you have to ask the question, what is coming next? What is it leading to? So Israel has to defend herself. They cannot allow Hamas to be on their border. They cannot allow this this evil ideology to attack their people once again. Israel is forced now to defeat Hamas in Gaza. They have to do it. This is, by the way, Gaza is in the ancient land of Philistia. That might sound... Uh, that might sound familiar to you because that's exactly where the Philistines used to be. This is David and Goliath all over again. This is uh, little tiny Israel defending itself against the Arab nations around them. And all of the Arab nations are watching what's happening now in Gaza. And guess what? There is an itchy trigger finger. That's why we've sent uh, our, our aircraft carriers there uh, in the hope that this doesn't escalate. But my question is, What if it does? Think about Lebanon, directly north of Israel. The terrorist group Hezbollah is on the border amassing forces. They are more powerful than Hamas. Will they join the fight? Maybe. Syria is right next door. And uh, just yesterday I read a headline, uh, Israeli airstrikes. They had to strike the Aleppo airport because there was... Terrorist attacks, being there were rockets being launched from the airport that Israel had to, had to launch missiles and destroy their airport in Aleppo. The IDF had to do that on Saturday in Lebanon. Is that a good thing? In Jordan. Now, Jordan has a peace treaty with Israel since 1996, but I read a, uh, an article that said uh, tensions are now simmering in Jordan as Hamas is urging their tribes to join the conflict. Egypt, there's a peace treaty there, thank God, but CNN says the last remaining exit for Gazans is through Egypt. Cairo is reluctant. They're not letting anybody out. They're not helping either side. That means increasing pressure. Iran, of course, is bankrolling the whole thing. Do you know what the original name of Iran is? That would be Persia. Persia is the ancient land that opposed the Jewish people. And guess what? They are supplying money and weapons to the terrorist organizations. It would make sense to me if I'm Israel and I know that my enemies are getting weapons and money from Iran, maybe we have to attack them too. What you really need to look out for, though, is what happens with Russia. I read a headline yesterday that said Hamas attack exposes deteriorating ties between Russia and Israel. Vladimir Putin has failed to condemn the attack on Israel and is blaming the situation on failed diplomacy. When you see Russia beginning to align with all of the Arab nations coming against Israel, that is the sign that that we are on the doorstep of the return of Jesus. Now, with that thought in mind, Ezekiel 38. This is what God said about that alliance between Russia and the Arab nations. This is another message that came from me, Ezekiel 38, verse 1. Son of man, turn and face Gog in the land of Magog. That is what is now known as Russia today. The prince who rules over Meshech and Tubal and prophesy against him. He says, I will draw you out, your army, your horses, your charioteers in full armor. A great horde. Verse 5 says, listen, Persia... That's Iran. Ethiopia, that's, that's 
modern-day Egypt today, and Libya will join you too with all their weapons. Gomer, its armies, will join with you. And verse 8, a long time from now you'll be called into action. In the distant future you will swoop, swoop down on the land of Israel, which will be enjoying peace after recovering from war and after its people have returned from many lands. That sounds oddly specific, doesn't it? Verse 20, Jesus said in our Scripture, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. I'm sharing all of this with you to remind you, signs should lead us to action. I want to close. What is that action? What is the action? If we see signs of the times, if we see these things taking place all around us, and I hope you do, I hope that you would be busted out of the bubble of comfort this morning to see how close we are. So what are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus said in verse 34, watch out. Beware. That word that he used in the Greek, pay attention. Be cautious. Adhere to. Give your attention to. Take heed. Don't ignore it. He goes on to say, don't let your heart be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and worries of this life. Don't let the day catch you unaware. For many believers, the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly. Like a thief in the night, Jesus said. You don't expect the thief to show up. You're just sleeping. But like the thief in the night is how Jesus will return. And he says in verse 35, that day will come upon everyone living on the earth, so keep alert at all times. Pray that you might be strong enough. Men's hearts failing them for fear. Isn't it interesting that we've seen in the last uh, several years, we see a, a wave of young people having heart attacks. Is that related to Jesus' prophecy that men's hearts failing them for fear? I close with a parable of Jesus in Matthew 25. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids or ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Bridegroom, You know the story. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. And these are, these are bridesmaids who are preparing for a wedding. And the groom has gone to prepare, but they don't know when he's coming back. And as they're preparing, they've got their lamps, and the, the, the idea is that they've got to keep their lamp ready to shine brightly when the groom returns. The five wise bridesmaids, what they did is they took care to watch over their lamp and they made sure the wick was the right length and there was oil that was remaining and they didn't use it all. But there were five foolish ones who said, hey, we want to stay up all night and party. And they used up the oil in their lamp. And then suddenly, the groom returned. And the ones that were foolish had no lamp, had no oil left in their lamps And the Bible said they were left outside. You know, that's a very interesting number of wise versus foolish, half and half. Everybody was invited, but only half were wise enough to go in. I wonder if that's a picture of the church in the last days. I wonder if, you know, if uh, this half of the church, or this half of the church, I pray it's not all of us this night or this morning, 
But it's an, it is a reminder that we've got to keep our oil ready. And that's why the most important real estate in the world, the most important place in your life, is right here at the altar. Most important real estate is not any property that you own. It's this altar. Why? Because at this altar, it's where God deals with our hearts, where God reminds us to break out of our comfort zones, where God brings us back to Himself, where we're able to repent of our sins, of our carousing, of our drunkenness, of our not paying attention to the signs, and God can bring us back exactly where we need to be. This, this spot is the most important place in your life. Not your workplace. Not your bed where you sleep. If we are going to make heaven our home, if we are going to be ready for the day that Jesus returns, which I declare to you could be at any moment, there is nothing biblically that needs to happen before the return of Jesus in prophecy. All of the prophecies we see of Revelation occur after the rapture of the church, in my view. We can... If you disagree on that, that's okay. I, don't, uh, I, I wouldn't argue with you. There are different interpretations. But I do want to tell you that whether it be the rapture of the church or whether we're going to live through the end times, it could happen at any moment. And whichever, whichever interpretation you have, I want to challenge you. We've got to trim the wicks. We've got to be filled with the oil. Jesus said, don't let your heart become dull. Have you become dull Sleepy this morning? Distracted by the things of the world? I challenge you right now. Let's put our hearts back into the things of God. He's coming. Are we ready? Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes for just a moment.